Greetings and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. As our name suggests, this program focuses on Jesus Christ and all the prophetic promises in the Word of God that point to Him. We frequently refer to the Old Testament prophecies that foretold Jesus' first advent, His ministry on earth 2,000 years ago, and His death, burial, and resurrection. We also highlight God's prophetic Word that is being fulfilled before our eyes even today, from the reestablishment of Israel to the signs of the times that are increasing in frequency and magnitude and point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Today we will look ahead to the prophetic promises that will be fulfilled in the future, and specifically to one particular aspect of prophecy. I'm delighted to be joined by Bill Salas, the founder of Prophecy Depot Ministries. Bill, thank you for coming today to be on Christ in Prophecy. Well, Tim, it's, it's my honor and pleasure. Well, it'll be our honor and pleasure to have you and to discuss this exciting topic about which I wrote a little booklet, but you've written a whole book. And so, even as we dive in, I will observe that all of our resources here at Lamb and Lion Ministries adhere to Revelation 19.10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, we believe that God's prophetic word has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and will be fulfilled in His second coming. But there are so many promises that we look forward to. I know you do as well. As well, and that's a great verse. I love that verse. I also like Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. It says, I am God, there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning. I am God, there is no other. I mean, that, in other words, he authenticates his sovereignty by knowing the prophecies, the end from the beginning. He certainly does, and yet he has revealed to us, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, certain of his plans for the future. Uh, some things are still masked, I guess, in a degree of uncertainty but other things are clearly revealed. So there are many facets, you and I would agree, of Bible prophecy, and, and some draw our attention to things that happened in the past, again, fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ, but others point to the future. And I believe that's to give us encouragement, even in these darkening times, quite frankly, and to give us assurance that God is still in control. But there is another promise that we can take comfort in, by looking at fulfilled prophecy in the past, we can know that every jot, every tittle, as the scripture says, will be fulfilled in the future. Absolutely. And a lot of the, the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecies we're talking about are going to find fulfillment in the topic we're going to discuss today in the millennium. Well, that's a good lead in. So let's jump into this topic. You know, before we dive into the specifics of your book, and of course, it's the millennium prophecies dealing with the millennium and the New Jerusalem and all the things leading up to that time period. Where would you say we are on the end times timeline? In other words, what should we and our viewers anticipate happening next? Well, I believe we're at the very end of the church age. Uh, I believe Jesus is about to come and get us, rapture us out of here, his bride. Uh, we don't know exactly when, but all the signs, end time signs are converging. There's no weapon that's not fashioned, no technology that's not developed, right. no national relationship that's not formed that could prohibit this all from coming together real quickly, all the end time signs. So Jesus is going to come get us before the tribulation period. So I think we're right at the end of the church age. So in other words, <clears throat> you and I would agree there are no other prophecies or signs that must be fulfilled 
prior to the rapture occurring next. Correct. That doesn't mean there won't be some prophecies that could happen prior to the rapture, but they don't have to happen prior to the rapture. The rapture could come at any given time. And of course, that's what we're all hoping for at this point, Tim. We sure are. As a matter of fact, I had hoped that uh, that would happen before Dr. Reagan passed the baton on to me. I'm hoping it happens soon and very soon, but there's nothing that we have to see occur prior to the rapture. We just have to be looking and watchful for our King. Well, Revelation 1-3 tells us that God's two witnesses will prophesy in Jerusalem for 1260 days before the Antichrist actually kills him. They, he is allowed to kill those prophets, those witnesses. And we know that that's the midpoint of the tribulation. One of the things you dive into is this gap period, I will call it, uh, the period after uh, the tribulation, which you point to Daniel 12, 12, mm -hmm. as saying that there are 1,335 days. So this mysterious 75-day period that leads us into the Millennium Kingdom. So tell our viewers a little bit about what you think will happen during that 75 days. Yeah, that 75-day interval in Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Very interesting, a lot of people are not familiar with that, but that's a period of time where Jesus Christ comes back, I say, to mop up the mess, because what happens is, I write this in the Millennium Prophecies book, I'm gonna say a quote, the seven seals, seven trumpet, and seven bowl judgments in the book of Revelation devastate the planet. Rivers, streams, and oceans are turned into blood in Revelation 8 and Revelation 16. Scorching heat and global wildfires destroy much of the world's vegetation, as per those same chapters, Revelation 8 and Revelation 16. The great earthquake shakes the earth. The 100-pound hailstones pummel upon the earth as well. Uh, and then these two events cause every island to disappear in mountains to no longer be found. We're told that in the book of Revelation chapters mm -hmm. 8 and 16. So Jesus has to restore the earth, it says, but nevertheless, 2 Peter 3.13 says, we are according to his promises look for new heavens and a new earth in which right righteousness dwells. So Jesus has got to come mop up the mess. He's got to deal with, there's still people running around with the mark of the beast. The Antichrist, the image of the beast is still standing. We're told in Daniel 12 for 30 days past the second coming. It's amazing stuff that you wouldn't think was going on, but Jesus takes 75 days before the millennium of a thousand years kicks in. And what he does in that period of time, I'll sense those, that, the initial question you had. The Antichrist and the false prophet get cast into the lake of fire. Satan gets bound for a thousand years into the bottomless pit. The earth gets restored. The return of the faithful Jewish remnant, Jesus brings them back to Israel. There'll be a resurrection of the Old Testament saints, resurrection of the tribulation saints, the mourning of the Messiah in Israel, and the abomination of desolation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then there's this sheep and goat Gentile judgment in Matthew 25, which is really important. I believe that happens at the tail end of the 75-day interval because the sheep uh, Gentiles are the good Gentiles who believe, got faith and got saved after the, in the tribulation mm -hmm. period, and they will actually go in and populate the Messianic kingdom. Why do you think the Lord will take 75 days to accomplish all those things when with a word, he could create the entire universe. And in six days, he created the earth and everything in it. And so I, I truly believe God, through the power of his word, could accomplish all those things in an instant, but he will take 75 days, according to the passage there in Daniel. I concur. Uh, why he does that is... We don't know. He, he doesn't necessarily need that much time, but one of the possible precedents is the mourning of the Messiah, that could be a 30-day period because we have, that's how long they mourned Moses for 30 days after, and he was a prophet after he had died. And then they mourned Aaron, this is in Numbers 20, verse 29, 
for 30 days also. And so we had a prophet and a priest mourn for 30 days. Of course, now we have a king, prophet, and a priest in Jesus Christ. Mm. So they may, that may be a 30-day mourning period that goes on in Israel. But I really don't know exactly why he takes so much time. But he feels the need to do that. So obviously, when we talk about mourning, we're talking about the Jewish people who would look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn almost for their own, uh, you know, wickedness and, and rebellion but then come to him in contrition. So sometimes the Lord gives time, and thankfully he does even for you and me, knowing our own nature and our own limitations. It's not that he's limited by time or space, but he's giving us time to, to become acclimated to uh, a change he's making even in our lives. Right, and, they, and you can read about the period of mourning in Zechariah 12, verses 11 through 14. And you should read it because it's Israel, the house of David, uh, and, and the resurrected Old Testament saints, and every family in Israel, it says, the faithful remnant as well, they recognized him like an only son whom they had pierced. And so it's going to be a very powerful period of time in that probably the first 30 days or so of the 75-day interval. I have one other insight that I actually consider when thinking about some of these things with Jesus returning to earth. I think that he will decimate the Antichrist and the gathered armies there at the Valley of Armageddon with a word from his mouth. They will melt as scripture describes. But I liken it to this. Right now, uh, there's a king in England who as soon as the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, passed away, uh, long live the king. From that instant forward, King Charles is the, the monarch in England. And yet, there is a period of many months before his coronation. So. Sometimes I think that the Lord who will reign from the moment he sets foot on earth yet will have a, a period until the, the final, if you will, coronation. That's a, a pitiful analogy, but the best one that I understand. And then I also would agree with you, Bill. We, we sometimes are using a little bit of uh, sanctified speculation in terms of how and when and even why God is doing the things he's doing over this period of time. And I think that's... Uh, recognition of our own limits and his sovereignty. Mm -hmm, absolutely. But we have some really finite details within mm -hmm. the millennial kingdom as well. We, yes, we do. We try to avoid speculation, but, you know, sometimes in Bible prophecy, you have to sort of logically sort of think things out and that sort of thing. But I agree with you. We always try to caveat, hey, that was speculation, that particular thought. But the, some of the things we're going to talk about are not speculation. They're, they're finite information. Well, and I will say this. When we get it wrong, if we ever contradict the Word of God, His Word is never wrong, but uh, we know our own limitations. Now, having said that, there are things that are very clearly revealed to us, as you mentioned. So this brings us to the millennium, the very first uh, period of time referenced on the title of your book. And we know that in Revelation chapter 20, Six different times it says that Christ will reign upon the earth for a thousand years and Satan will be bound for a thousand years, uh, unable to deceive the inhabitants of the earth. That seems pretty clear cut to me. Right. And so the thing that's interesting, though, is that when the sheep Gentiles, the believers, go in to populate the Messianic kingdom, they will still have a sin nature. Jesus yes. Christ will be ruling over the earth with a rod of iron. Yes. Because there still will be a sin nature, but they will all be saved going in there at that point in time. So uh, it's very interesting that, uh, that that phenomenon is going to happen. But what they won't be able to say, that people can say right now, is the devil made me do it. <laughs> yeah, you remind me of a little Flip Wilson uh, routine that he had with Imogene. <laughs> I actually tried to find that the other day. The devil made me do it. Yeah. And the other thing that will be true is those people, the sheep that go into the millennial kingdom, 
will be saved followers of Jesus Christ, but they will repopulate the earth with offspring, so children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren beyond number, uh, at least to our minds right now, and those offspring will not necessarily be followers of Christ. Some of them will have that sin nature inherent in their heart. They will still have to make a decision as we do in the church age for Jesus Christ to accept them and receive them as their savior. Uh, we're told in Isaiah 65, 20, there's actually an age of accountability to do that that's in the Messianic kingdom. Mm -hmm. Isaiah says, puts it this way, no, no more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old, but sinner being accursed at 100 years old shall be accursed. Yeah. So you got a 100 year age of accountability. Wow. So there'll be longer life, you know, at that period of time in the millennium, but they'll have, they'll have to make a decision. I hope that doesn't mean it'll take 100 years for people to get out of a stage of adolescence. We are already seeming to expand that period right now. Uh, I, I agree with what you're saying about the 100 year time span that is referenced, but I hope uh, with the the world as it exists in the millennium, it won't take uh, that long for people to grow up, so to speak. But that brings up a question. In your book, you said you'd agree with Dwight Pentecost, of course, a famous, uh, insightful man that wrote a lot about the prophetic Word of God and his assertion that there is more information in the Bible about the millennium than any other period in Scripture. Uh, describe for us what we can look forward to in this area that we refer to as the millennium or the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. I agree. After I saw that quote from Dwight, I started studying and writing this book, and I agreed wholeheartedly because it's the thickest book of the five book series. There's so much information about the millennium that you'll find out of the series. It is the thickest book. Some of the highlights that are really important in the millennium, there'll be a global government, government ruled by Jesus Christ, Isaiah 9, only gladness and rejoicing in the millennial kingdom. The whole world will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord. Mm. The sheep Gentiles, of course, will know the church is going to co-reign with Jesus Christ and yes. we'll, we'll be broadcasting the knowledge of the Lord throughout the whole planet as well. There'll be many kind-hearted people leading righteous lives. Psalm 115 and Psalm 24. No more war, Isaiah verse, chapter 2, verse 4. A pure singular language, Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 9. Instantaneous answers to prayer, mm. Isaiah 65, 24. And then the blindness and deafness, Isaiah 29, 18. The crippled will walk, the leap, and, and walk and leap, and the mute will talk and sing. And there's still more. <laughs> but wait, there's more, huh? There's wait, there's more. And <laughs> there'll be no more remembrance of bad events from the past, Isaiah 65, 16, and 17. The plan will be restored to Garden of Eden like conditions. It's also in Isaiah 51, verse 3. Children will be playing with dangerous animals and snakes. Uh, like you, had, you know, the wolf will lay down with the lamb, will dwell with the lamb, etc. And then just a couple more. There'll be abundant vegetation, gushing waters in wilderness and streams that are flowing in the desert. Uh, there'll be grapes that can grow faster than they can be harvested. And there's more and more we could say, but those are just a few of the high bullet points. Uh, just a few of the bullet points, and those are enough to get me excited. There's another one that you didn't mention, I don't think, and that is that Israel will be restored to primacy among the nations, and that all the Gentile nations will come to where? To Jerusalem in an expanded Israel to worship the Lord who will reign. And so there's so many reasons to be excited about it. That's why my first booklet I wrote here as part of this ministry dealt with my eager anticipation of the reign of Jesus during the millennium. 
but not just for what's in it for me. So let, let's flip the, the switch just a little bit from what is there for me to look forward to, to look at some of the other promises because the millennium promises don't just relate to you and me as Gentile followers of Jesus Christ. Who mm -hmm. else is looking forward to this millennium? Well, the, in the Old Testament, the high point of Bible prophecy was the Messianic kingdom. For who? For the Jewish people, the, yeah. the chosen people of the yes. Abrahamic covenant. But they didn't know it would be a thousand years. In Revelation 20, as you pointed out six times, we get the understanding that it's a full millennia. Right. But, you know, they've got all these promises, like we talked about, what we just talked about with the restored creation, Garden of Eden-like conditions, animals and children playing together. And, you know, that was a high point of the Old Testament prophecies. And so that's one of the things. Also, the creation is presently groaning for the glorious liberty of the sons of God. That's what I was creation looking for, will, yes. Creation will be in harmony again, yeah. playing with children again and things like that. Like we said, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, et cetera. So we don't sometimes think of creation as being personified in a way that it would groan. But Romans chapter 8 says specifically that creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. That would be those who have put our faith in, in Him and will receive our glorified bodies so that creation is going to be restored to that Garden of Eden-like state. I would submit there's even a greater uh, promise that will be fulfilled in the millennium. We know that David will reign as king, but... Uh, there's yet another one who will reign over not just David, but all of us in Jerusalem. And so I think part of the millennial promise is to none other than Jesus Christ. That's true. And, and, Je and Jeremiah 3.17 says his throne will be in Jerusalem. Yes. And so it's, it's going to be, and then of course King David will be the prime minister. Yeah, underneath that's a better him. description for him. The 12 apostles will be the Supreme Court judges. <laughs> We find that out. There's actually 15, I believe, now in Israel. Now. Right. There'll be at least 12 at that time. Israel will actually be uh, sort of ruling over the nations in part two, but the church has a very significant role as well. Yes. We're co-reigning with Jesus Christ, we're told. He makes, he's making us kings and princes for mm -hmm. that end. So, as I see it, there are several different beneficiaries uh, who could look forward to this time of millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Yes those of us who are Christians and put our faith in Christ prior to the rapture and either are resurrected from uh, the dead first or meet him in the air because we are still in our mortal bodies and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We look forward to co-reigning with Christ. We can talk about the believers who survive the tribulation and enter into that millennium still in their mortal bodies. We can talk about the resurgent population that lives in an earth without any deception from Satan, without any sin, without any toleration of mm -hmm. wrongdoing, uh, because the Lord reigns with a rod of iron. We can talk about creation itself mm -hmm. that is groaning even now. But again, I go back to the first and foremost reason for the millennium is so that the promises made to God's Son, our Messiah, will be fulfilled. He didn't receive the honor and glory that He was due when He came the first time, but I promise you this, he will receive glory and honor when He comes again because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. So mm. well, what a great series of promises for us to look forward to and not just because of what's in it for me or us, but mm. really what glory it brings to the Lord God Himself. Right, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, the tribulation yes. saints, there's going to be a whole lot of things going on, the restoration of the faithful Jewish remnant. There'll actually be a restoration of Gentile remnants from Iran, uh, also from Jordan, 
and Assyria and Egypt. So it's going to be an amazing time at that point. And, and believers have such a bright future in store for them, don't they, Tim? They really do. You know, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, there's nothing but good that is awaiting us. I mean, even the, the challenges of this life, even the, the pain and suffering of this life cannot be compared to what God has planned for us who put our trust in Him. I'm reminded of what David wrote in Psalm 103, the first five verses. He was so excited about the Lord's promises to him. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And that's not just for here and now. We get just a, a foreshadowing, a taste of what is to come, but just it boggles the mind at what the Lord has prepared for us. So let's just be clear, and I'm not diminishing the tremendous blessing of every Christian who will participate in the millennium, but I want us to lift our eyes beyond just inward looking to look to Jesus Christ, who is the focal point of That's all. That's a good point. You know, lots of times people just focus on the highlights of the millennium, the, the wonderful blessings we'll have within the millennium. Which and there, right, there are many. He's the cent central focus now, and he is going to be the central focus then as well. And there's also, there's going to be a millennial temple. We're told in Ezekiel 43, verses 5 through 7, <laughs> that actually the Shekinah glory of God, the Father, will dwell in the millennial temple, but only the Shekinah glory, not the physical presence. But Jesus Christ himself will be physically present in Jerusalem. Well, there's a lot of angst these days, Bill, from people who are frustrated by government, uh, ever-expanding government, encroaching on personal rights and liberties. What kind of government will the earth witness during this millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Well, we're told in Isaiah 9, he's a wonderful counselor, prince of peace. It'll be a, th a theocracy. There'll be no more butterfly ballots and fraudulent voting machines. Right. And, I mean, he's going to rule and with such, such blessings, no more war. Knowledge of the Lord will be throughout the whole world at that point. So, I mean, it's, and you know what, we may not be that far from it. After the church age, there's a little bit of a gap period. We don't know how long it is because it's not the rapture that starts the tribulation period. Then you have a tribulation period that's confirmed by a false covenant by the Antichrist in Daniel 9, mm -hmm. verse 27. Then you have seven-year tribulation. Then you have a 75-day interval we talked about. And then you have a thousand-year millennium. So we don't know how long that gap is. But once the church goes, small gap, seven years of tribulation, and then bam, we're right in the Millennial Kingdom. Right, and the, the reality is, in terms of government, and I've been in government and highly disappointed in some of its functionings, but I tell people I'm looking forward to a monarchy because we will live under a truly benevolent monarch who will rule the earth with a rod of iron, but with perfect peace, justice, and righteousness. As a matter of fact, those things will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so we could talk about how all of these blessings are somewhat speculative in terms of the detail of the timing, but the Lord's word is very clear that there's nothing but good for those who put their faith in him. So we know that even the millennium itself, though, is only a temporary period, and yet there's something even greater and more lasting to follow the millennium kingdom. What is that? That's the eternal order. Which? That's, that happens after the thousand years, and you have a little aftermath period where there'll be a white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, where all the unbelievers throughout time will go before, stand before Jesus Christ at the white throne, and unfortunately they'll have to give an account for their lives, and they will not, you know, their works would not save them, right. of course. 
But then we then we kick into the eternal order. A few highlights about that. Well, Please. we just got a couple minutes left. In, the first new heaven and new earth we talked about mm -hmm. prior is a restored heaven and a restored earth. This is going to be a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And the holy city of New Jerusalem will be descending down from heaven. There will be the God the Father will dwell amongst his people. There will be no more curse of death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, Tim. I can't wait. Everything will be, all things will be made new. God's people will be treated as sons and become heirs to all things. There'll be no fifth Jewish temple because God and the Lamb are, in, are its temple. There'll be a millennial temple, but there will not be another temple in the eternal order. It won't be necessary because God will be present there. God can be present amongst us because sin has been dealt with at the white throne judgment. So now the Father and the Son can dwell together amongst his people. There'll be a crystal river, pure, a river of life, crystal clear, pure river of life. And there'll be a healing tree of life also in the center of, the, of that New Jerusalem area. So I love the fact that Jerusalem itself has a name change because to reflect the presence of God dwelling there with us. We had Emmanuel, God with us before, but now forever and ever. And so the city itself is now going to be called Yahweh Shema. The Lord is there. Mm. Well, Bill, on page 192 of your book, you make the statement, all people who enter the millennium are saved. And so really the important message we have, the bottom line for anybody watching today is you will not enter the millennium. You won't be a part of this eternal kingdom of God unless you are saved. So how can someone be saved to ensure their place in Christ's millennial kingdom? Well, the way we do it now is the way that they have to do it in the tribulation. And it's the way you always do it because there's only one name throughout, under heaven through which all people must be saved. And that is Jesus Christ. And what you do is you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You receive him as your Lord and Savior. You make a confession that you're a sinner and you receive the free gift of salvation that he paid a heavy price for on the cross 2,000 years ago for each, every one of us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, John 3:16, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life is from here to eternity. We end up in the millennium and we end up into the eternal order. You need to get saved now before the rapture because what happens after the rapture is the most perilous period of time in the world's history, seven years of tribulation. And you do not want to go through that. And you don't have to go through that right now. Don't tarry. Jesus Christ is your, should be your Lord and Savior. Make that decision post haste. And we pray that you indeed will make that decision post haste. Don't wait. You don't have another day, another hour guaranteed. We hope that you will turn to Christ as your Savior and worship Him as Lord today. Well, how can our viewers actually get a copy of your book and connect with you online? Well, Tim, thank you for that. Uh, my books are available at the website, prophecydepot.com, prophecydepot, like homedepot.com. That sticks with them. Yeah. And uh, my articles and my TV interviews and things like that. Very good. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for taking time today to visit us here at Maranatha Acres while you were in Texas. It's been a blessing to us. I know it'll be a blessing to our viewers. Thanks, Tim. Yes, sir. Love coming here. We'll have you back. Well, folks, we do not know when the rapture will occur, setting off a chain of end times events that will lead to the millennium. What we do know is that the horrors that await those who are left behind are unprecedented on the earth. You cannot postpone a decision to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, merely hoping that you'll be able to do so after the rapture. Many people will die in the wars that follow the rapture and during the tribulation. 
those who have rejected Jesus to that point will come under a deluding influence sent by God to lock in their rebellious choice. On top of that, you are not promised another day or another hour. Do not delay. Turn to Jesus today and join the throng of redeemed saints who eagerly await the rapture. Guarantee your place in His millennial kingdom. Then join me in crying out, Maranatha, Godspeed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. On behalf of Lamb & Lion Ministries, this is Tim Moore. I'll see you next week. Tim